And now, The Low Post. Welcome to The Low Post podcast on a Friday morning in Los Angeles. It has been a hell of a week in the NBA. Two of the games of the year, the Max Struess game in Cleveland, the Lakers rousing comeback behind three after three after three from LeBron James against the Clippers, followed up by a wild overtime win against, you know, look, if you, you got to bring it against the Washington Wizards, the nine-win Washington Wizards. you got to bring it. The Western Conference playoff race is getting heated. Wemby versus Chet last night. Wemby ate him up in the fourth quarter, had a Billy Madison block shot on him, like Billy Madison playing against the fifth graders. The ball doesn't even get out of your hand. Chidea Gumake, how are you? We're back in the building. Hello, hello. Good to be back to my favorite podcast. Oh, look at that. Um... Let's start off with uh, with the Lakers and LeBron James, who is, I believe, nine points away from uh, 40,000 points. Every single day on NBA Today, 3 p.m. Eastern Time, 12 p.m. Pacific Time, uh, we essentially ask the same question in different ways, which is, who has a better chance of making a deep playoff run, the Golden State Warriors or the Los Angeles Lakers? So here's where we are. The Lakers, after this little win streak there on a mini two-game win streak, by the way, last night, Shanae, must win. You have to win that game if you're the Lakers, are 33-28. and 28. They're in ninth. They are three games in the loss column, even in the win column, three games in the loss column behind the Kings for eighth, three games behind the loss column for the Mavs as well, who are seventh. I have faith in the Mavs. I'm looking at the Kings because the Kings are not playing very well. They have two head-to-head games left against the Lakers. And the Warriors are right behind the Lakers at 31 and 27. Two games out in the loss column, two games out in the win column, playing, I think, better than the Lakers. So I will just let's just start with that question. After seeing these teams kind of find themselves of late, both of them are on little winning streaks. What is your answer to the question that we ask every day on NBA TV? Who should the teams at the top of the West fear more? Well, if it's gonna be the Lakers, the thing that gives me I guess you can say confidence in them is that anytime there is a narrative, there's a big game, they show up. We saw this on full display. The menu was out there, six games, in-season tournament, big games, they show up, right? Battle for LA, there was uh, the narrative, right? Like, hey, last regular season matchup between the Lakers and the Clippers. And at first, we're like, okay, this one is done by the fourth quarter. And then, no, that energy that I that identity of this could be an instant classic slowly started building as the minutes ticked off in the fourth. And so the Lakers are a big game team, which is why I'm glad they beat the Wizards. And this is what shocks me. Like you can get up versus the Clippers, mind you. No Paul George, no Zubots. So yeah, they were they were hurting a little bit. Um, but you can't get, you know, you need what 30 and nine from LeBron and 40 and 15 from 80 to beat, you know, the wizards. So that that's the challenge for me in, in trying to understand who this Lakers team, I think in the playoffs, when every game matters, we'll see their best form of basketball, but through an 82 game uh, season where you're one of your best players is 39 years old and has to carry along the rest. It's just hard to see that same identity happen time and time again, but I have said this is the most important stretch of the Lakers season. We had that homestand, I think it was early January, right? Where we said that before, but really that was the most important to see whether or not LeBron wants you to get traded. And what did we see from that time? We saw Reeves ball out. We saw D'Lo have one of his best shooting stretches of his last two years. Once again, most important stretch. We've all said it. 
11 out of the 12, but now we've ticked down, you know, now it's 11. These, they don't leave the state of California. This is the time where you can jockey for positioning. This is why being in the Clippers matter. This is why being in the Wizards matter. If they want to make a push and they actually want to do something this year and the West that's gotten better, it starts now. It started with the Clippers. They handle their business versus the Wizards. But the way that they won versus the Wizards makes me nervous. Did you answer the question? Is your answer Lakers? Oh, wait. Is it out of all teams? No. Warriors or Lakers? Who should – Oh, who I has didn't know it was Warriors. Warriors or Lakers? Pay attention, Shanae. Get in the game. Oh, my gosh. I'm so sorry. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to still give it to the Lakers. Okay, thank you. I'm going to still you. give it to the Lakers. Yeah. Thank you. Uh, <laughs> I disagree with you. I think you're wrong. I think it's the Warriors. I think the, so. Steph was asked after the game against New York last night, and by the way, look, it's hard to really even analyze the Knicks because they have so many guys who are hurt. But it, it's time. I mean, like this this thing in the East is now five teams for three playoff spots below Milwaukee, who's in third. The Knicks are thirty five and twenty five. They are hanging on for absolute dear life to not just the four seed to a top six seed because. The Sixers have 25 losses. The Magic have 26. The Pacers have 26. And the Heat, here come the Heat, although they <laughs> lost last night to Denver, have 26 losses. Like, I don't know who the hell is making the playoffs and the play-in in the East at this point, but that's besides the point for now. Steph <laughs> said after the game, he was asked um, something about, do you, got, do you feel like the team has found its identity? And Steph doesn't take these questions lightly. Uh, when he talks big picture about the team, he he answers honestly, and he is not uncomfortable saying that the team is uncomfortable or or not sort of in the groove that they need to be in. And he said last night, yeah, I, I think we do. I think we're forming one. I think we have an identity. And I totally agree with him. And this is one of those, you know it when you see it things. The minute Draymond came back, the minute Steve Kerr, congrats on your massive extension, by the way, Steve Kerr. Um, started Draymond at center, started Kaminga, started Wiggins, best to the family, Andrew Wiggins. I hope you get back soon. Everything clicked into place for them, including Jonathan Kaminga's role. The bench, Clay Thompson coming off the bench has really worked uh, for him. Chris Paul coming off the bench is going to work. They have, they feel like a team that knows who they are to me. Their point differential is way better than the Lakers. And to your point about the Wizards, and we talked about this yesterday after the Clippers game, these wins are nice. In-season tournament was cool. Like, they just don't get easy wins. Like, every win is really hard for the Lakers. They have to bring it every, like, full throttle, every game. Like, that game against the Clippers flipped when LeBron decided, all right, I got to guard Kawhi. I'm going to guard him. I'm going to guard him hard. I'm going to get in his face. I'm going to get into his stance. I'm going to change the whole vibe of this game. Like, that's, that's a lot of work for a dude who's, like, not that much younger than me. And, um... It's just, it's never easy. And the playoffs, yeah, there are no back to backs. And they're act, the first round is actually friendlier to older, thinner teams than the second round because there's a lot of days off. The second round, you're going every yeah. other day. It's nice that they can have an, a high one game ceiling. It would be nicer if they could win some easy games and have like, they just, to win four playoff games is hard. And like, you can't say it enough. They're ninth and 10th right now. Until one of these teams gets into eighth, like it's it's sort of a dumb question to even talk about who's going to make a deeper playoff run because one of them ain't even making the second part of the play-in <laughs> tournament, and that's why I got my eye on the Kings because the the Kings are the team that if someone is being caught, that's going to be the team. Yeah, honestly, I think when actually hearing and addressing your question, 
it's the recency bias that gets me. Like, how do you bet against LeBron James? But then also, how do you bet against the Lakers' size and defense and that identity? Now, I am bought in on the Golden State Warriors figuring things out. They actually, I have some people on the inside over there. And when things were really bad, when things were really bad, they said, hey, we're going to figure this out. Things are going to get better. Um, And I think, and I brought this point up on NBA Today. I was just watching. This is the most, I guess you can say, challenging coaching job for Coach Steve Kerr. Because for so long, Golden State, their identity has been strength in numbers, go out there, run the system. You don't even really have to call plays. They just spread the floor. They move. They set really great screens. And they get great shots. They get great looks. Now, based off of the plethora of perimeter players that they have that can provide perks in performance. Oh, my like God. Pajem- like Pajemski, right? <laughs> um, I think that now Coach Steve Kerr has to really monitor a lot of different things. Clay going to the bench, I think, took a lot of pressure off of him. Uh, knowing him the past year or so, he's someone that even after they won their championship, he was still like, oh, I got to get better. I was like, man, don't you want to celebrate, right? And instead, like, you know, it's been a process. Like, figuring out how to maneuver all of their strengths is now no longer a, oh, go out there and see what happens. It's now a game-by-game decision. I think that's going to be, as much as they're building an identity, it's going to be very reactive. I'm I'm curious to see how they handle, okay, Clay shooting well. What lineup do we have here? Oh, maybe we need someone else. Like, we need more defense, obviously, you know, Hope Wiggins is is doing well and best to his family. But without him, how do you manage that? Because Wiggins was actually doing a, like moderately better before this time, right? Yeah, he was, he was starting to pop a little bit. He was starting exactly. to look a little bit more like the guy and, who was the and, second best player on the championship team. Exactly. And at the end of the day, it really comes down to if you're looking at these two teams head to head, Steph, LeBron, you take them off of the floor, who's the next best player to me? And it's Anthony Davis. Now, you want those – put your team on your back moments like we consistently get from LeBron in a loud way, but he's been consistent. He's been as healthy as he's been as a Laker. I still look, I don't, maybe it's the, the blast radius of LeBron James doing what he does. But right, right now I'm still looking at the Lakers as a team that could potentially now it's, it's crazy to, that we have to put one in one to, head to head. I'm, I'm warriors on this question, but if you were going to make the Lakers argument, you would you would not only look at the sort of ability to rise to one big game, and nobody wants to see LeBron on the other side of the court for one, just make it a slog, you know, win the game in the muck and being a chess master, all that stuff. You could also point to like finally, and I've said this a million times, they are finally starting Rui and playing Rui more, which means they're playing their best four-man unit of Reeves, Rui, LeBron, and AD. And slowly but surely, that group is piling up a solid plus-minus. They're now plus six per 100 possessions. It was negative a while ago, and now it keeps getting better and better and better. And that's a big deal. Uh, By the way, I just want to go back to Kerr for a second. I don't think any championship, four-time champion coach, has been nitpicked more by the fan base of his own team in the history of earth than Steve Kerr and everybody. Well, it's just, if it's like, I don't engage with it much anymore, but it's like more pick and roll the system, all the system, (laughs) like do this. I think the 2022 title and this season sort of, and this is not the first season we've seen unfold like this, where the warriors kind of struggle and find themselves. 
Um, the year they made the play-in tournament and lost, which set the stage for their title year when they they found their identity again late in the season and went on a run. The system works. That title in this season are redemption for Steve Kerr. Everybody wants him to play a certain way. And there have been times when I also said, look, you're facing a defense that is taking away all this pretty stuff. Can you just run the Steph KD pick and roll to death? And when Mike Brown took over on an interim basis in the playoffs, he did that against the Blazers. And so I was like, okay, it is possible. But I I don't follow football much anymore. But I wonder what someone who did follow football would say about Kerr and Steph as the Brady and Belichick of the NBA. Not set aside the fact that the Brady Belichick thing, I guess, got a little sour by the end. That's never going to happen with Steve and Steph. It's just hard to separate them because Steve Kerr took this job, knew I have a generational superstar who plays a style that the league has never really seen before. He's the greatest shooter of all time and he moves around. He doesn't even need or want the, he wants the ball, but he doesn't need it that much. I'm going to build everything around that. Everything. And yeah, I got this big man in Draymond Green who, oh my God, David Lee got hurt. I discovered he fits this system perfectly, offensively and defensively. Um, that system works. Would it work without Steph? No. Like, it's impossible to separate the, quote, system that Steve Kerr has installed and the superstar around which all of it is based. Will we ever see Steve Kerr coach a team without Stephen Curry? I don't know. Maybe we never will. But the fact is, the system that he runs works. The system that he built around this player works. It works really well. And every goddamn year we go through this thing where all the words are shot. And then it's like it all clicks into place. Uh, The other thing about, I wonder what you think of this as a player. This is my other take on the Kerr contract. So he's making $17.5 million a year on this extension. After the Spo big money deal. After the Monty Williams big money deal. Is Monty Williams going to make more is more than a million dollars per win this season, potentially, for the Pistons? And, <laughs> it, 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 anyway, um, I wonder what you think of this as a player. One of the things that's interesting to me about these coaches getting massive salaries now is, for the first time in a little while, they are earning more than like half the players on the roster, including <laughs> almost including anybody on a rookie contract. And I wonder if that shifts the power dynamics at all. Like are, are players aware of like what the coach makes, how many years are on the contract? Like because uh, to me it, it's to me it's interesting. Why are you throwing me the lob? You know I'm a WNBA player. We I know these things with a fine tooth comb. You know, that's one of the narratives that came out after Becky Hammond was signed as the Las Vegas Aces head coach because it came out being the highest paid WNBA head coach, one million, and we all know that our top players make around two hundred thousand, right? And you typically have two, maybe three on the squad if you're able to contractually with the CBA. And so yeah, the coaches are making way more multiples times of the top players. So we know what the situation is. It's funny because a lot of people criticized you know even internally players criticized that deal what the heck to me you give you're you have the opportunity to get one of the best coaches in basketball we're not talking about women's because she was with the spurs basketball period you have to pay her what she deserves right and people also don't understand how competitive the collegiate landscape is when it comes to coaches contracts we want to get the best coaches overall so you got to pay Now, we are making progress in our CBA so our players can get paid more, but we are very aware 
Now, in the NBA ranks, I'm just speculating. I'm not an NBA player, clearly. I don't think that moves the needle for guys like potentially Steve Kerr getting paid more than a player on his team. I think that that means there's more pressure, right? Because if you know how Golden State runs, it runs per Steph Curry, Draymond Green, Clay Thompson, and Steve Kerr, right? And so those guys are all paid and Clay looking to get paid, but we know historically what he's been making. That's the group tank. That's what do they call it? The brain trust. That's the brain trust right there. I think everyone else around is trying to prove it, which is why we've seen Jonathan Kaminga put himself on the line a little bit to prove it and say, hey, I need this opportunity. And it kind of worked to his advantage, right? It didn't kind of work. It worked. (laughs) Not only putting him on notice, and then on top of it, the haircut. Like, all was the best situation for Kaminga. So I don't think these guys really focus on that. I think what I heard when, when the contract deal was done was it's on Steph Curry's timeline. Like, they're, they're now – you I don't know if you can see me, but my fingers are crossed. These two guys are on the same timeline, and I like that because that shows you the most important aspects. As you highlighted, this is the guy who created the system around Steph, and Steph is the re- – like, you've got two years in your prime to make it shake or else things could really be shaken. I hate saying shaking in California because you know what that means. Earthquake! Freak out. Go to Twitter, but – yeah, those are those are my thoughts. Um, good thoughts. I like the thoughts. Um, <laughs> to go back to my Lakers point, their point differential for the season overall, plus minus for the season, is minus twenty three. Wait, like, interjecting. Since we're talking football, LeBron absolutely compared the Lakers to the Pittsburgh Steelers, where you can like only win by a hair. It's gonna. It's never gonna be a. It's not. Gonna, it's not gonna be the Kansas City Chiefs. Offensive showcase. So go ahead. Did the Steelers make the playoffs this year? I know they didn't. If they did, they did not do very well in the playoffs. Correct. Which is my point. To win four games, if you're lucky enough to get in, to win four games against Minnesota, Oklahoma City, Clippers, Denver, whoever it is, like that is high level SHIT every single night. And the Lakers just haven't had that track record yet. Now, let's do a little LeBron thing because. We're not going to do this every time he hits a 1,000-point interval, but 40,000 points, humans are cavemen. Round numbers, round numbers, fun. We like round numbers. Round numbers, <laughs> good. Zero, good. Zero, important. Um, we talked a little bit about it yesterday on the show, just the brilliance of this guy. No one has ever done this before at his age. Uh, and just we kind of went through some of our favorite under – using the comeback against the Clippers as a jumping-off point kind of our favorite under the radar or fa- just favorite LeBron offensive games. Um, just give, give, have you thought more about that question? What was your answer? Tell me your answer. My answer was 2012 conference finals Eastern. That's where we got the eyes because after the Lakers game, win versus the Clippers, Darvin Ham, LeBron talked about superpowers, the flow state, and just how he feels like when he gets into that zone, it's really special and he just leans into it. For me, my generation, 45, 15 versus Celtics, like leaning over just everything around the world. It almost looked like he was, I haven't, this, this is a bad confession. I've never watched Avengers Endgame. I've never watched Avengers anything. I've tried to make it through the Marvel challenge. And I think I saw the Guardians of the Galaxy too, but I'm just going to say Thanos or something like that. Like Endgame, you saw that image. That's what's imprinted on my mind. And since we're talking LeBron and what I loved about that superpower i said it on air it wasn't the it wasn't the 19 points that he you know had down the stretch to outscore the clippers who had 16 it was what 
that superpower did to his teammates. And if they cannot capitalize off of the momentum of something like that, experiencing that and saying, hey, we've got this man at 39 that is capable of this. We've got AD dropping 40 and 15. Let's step up our games. In that stretch, those quote-unquote role players, Hachimura, um, D'Lo, they shot four for six from three. They were like, I'm not letting my big bro down, right? They made nine threes, LeBron James included, in that final stretch of a quarter. They average 11th makes their third worst in the NBA in three-point makes. Like, what LeBron does, I don't know any other player that really can bring that out of their teammates down the stretch. Um, I don't know. I toss it to you. Like, is there well, – have you seen all- anyone do that? I mean, Jokic, but... <laughs> poor, poor Anthony Davis, who only gets talked about on ESPN television when he has 18 points or 15 points, and everyone's like, where's Anthony Davis? Why doesn't he show up every day? Just quietly is having an unbelievable season, like should be at Correct. the back end of the MVP conversation. 25 and 12, bringing it pretty much every game. Won't get talked about. Just a rote 25. He might get talked about today because he had 40. He might be cool with that, honestly. Um. So uh, on, on LeBron, so you're talking about game six against the Celtics in 2012 Correct. with the Heat facing Correct. elimination in Boston. Windhorst has argued, I think correctly, that is the single most consequential game of LeBron's career and maybe his greatest if if great is if, – if sort of consequences are your definition of greatness as well as just what he did to the Celtics in that game, single-handedly eviscerating them from Jump Street. Um, because we that that is – if they lose that series – I don't really think anybody knows what happens to the Heatles and who, like, I don't know if, I don't know what happens. That is a a, a top five sliding doors game in the in NBA history. Yep. My two would be this, just very quickly. My not they're not underrated, but they're known for other things. Um, I've said this before. Game one of the 2018 Finals, which was the J.R. Smith forgets the score game, in a series that the Cavs got swept in and were drawing dead against. The, maybe the greatest team ever assembled. I, not as good as the year before, but uh, the same general team, the Warriors. He had, LeBron had 51, 8, and 8 on 19 of 32 shooting in that game. against And the and the Warriors were throwing everything at him. Draymond, Iguodala, switches, doubles. I don't say this lightly, and I am 46, so I did not see some of the greats in the 70s and early 80s play in like a serious, I wasn't like seriously observing them. And even when I was a kid growing up, it's not like I was breaking down Magic Johnson and Larry Bird and stuff like that. (laughs) That might be the best basketball game I've ever seen anybody play, considering the opposition, the stakes, all of it, the team he was facing. And there are people within the Warriors who would agree to that. And they were like, oh my God. The other one is the Ray Allen game in game six of the 2013 finals is known as the Ray Allen game for obvious reasons. LeBron had a 30-something triple-double in that game. And if you watch the fourth quarter in overtime, they were down 11 at the end of the third quarter. He is – it's not a – it's a good scoring game, but not a great one. But it is an incredible all-around LeBron game. He is like – watching that LeBron is like watching a different basketball player. He's so fast. It's it's like when he decided to guard Kawhi for 10 minutes in against the Clippers. Night, it was like that – times one and a half for the entire game. Just flying around, blocking shot. It was incredible. Are you worried about the Clippers at all? I'm not really worried about the Clippers. The only thing that makes me nervous is 
the Knicks and Knacks? Like, are these serious Knicks and Knacks that will mean that come postseason, uh, Paul George might have to sit out. Uh, now Kawhi, Kawhi is carrying a heavier load when he's tired. And now he's going to have, like, what is the chain uh, event, chain of events that potentially could happen from what we're seeing? And I do think that there are two things happening. Post-All-Star, people are tired. Even Steph, uh, since we're talking to Warriors, Steve Kerr said, hey, Steph is tired. Prior to this Knicks matchup, he was four to five. We said this, four to five games shooting less than 36% from the field. Tyrese Halliburton, you know, he was the host of All-Star. You see a lot of guys that have been tired. But then also, I, I think this is the playoffs. This is the pre-playoffs. A lot of teams are now looking at the standings and saying, we have to win X game. Like, the matrixes are building. And so, yeah, I, I, I the Clippers, I, there just is something in me that makes me feel like, you know, the gut. This is their time. Kawhi Leonard's best shooting season. Paul George, when he was out there, perfect in his role. Apparently, you know, everyone's favorite player if you're under the age of 21. <laughs> James Harden, I, I've loved how he's embraced the catch and shoot, no longer hurling himself to the basket, getting fouled. Um, Norm Powell, I train with Norm Powell's trainer, and so I've known his grind and his sustained excellence at being someone that can provide a boost. You know, seeing what he's been committed to. Shout out to AJ Diggs. And then just one of the deepest rosters, battle-tested coach. It it's it's difficult in the West, but like when you see success in the postseason, it's typically going to be on the perimeter with the exception of you, right? They have one of the best perimeters. They have they have everything. They really do. And they also have centers that can bang, that can provide meaningful minutes. And so they're they're loaded. Health is the only thing. When I hear, oh, out, soreness, this, that, I'm like, oh, no. Are you going to be at 100%? Because up until now, I would give the Clippers an A. Not an A+, plus, an A. So the Clippers are 3-5 and five in their last eight games. Have slipped a little bit on both ends of the floor. Their transition defense has been god-awful the entire season. And Kawhi called it out recently. I was reading an article by my buddy Law Murray from The Athletic talking to Kawhi about how bad their transition defense is. Part of that is probably the doldrums, as you have suggested. Paul George being out, obviously a big deal. Zubats being out, obviously a big deal. They're playing that Clippers game, and when they really collapsed in that game is the minutes when they had Russ, who is – this is why – this is part of the reason I'm a little bit worried is Russ has quietly had a bad month where he's starting to look like kind of out-of-control Lakers Russ – more than like helping off the bench Clippers Russ. But they had Russ Plumley, who my my man, give up the goddamn ball in transition. Can you just give there's guards all around you. Give the ball up. And PJ Tucker, who hasn't played at all. Those three on the floor, no shooting, no spacing. We will never ever see that in a real game. But Chinea Gumake. Transition defense, I said. I thought back to what Ty Lu said when they were 0-5 with Harden. And their offense was stuck in the mud. He said, we can't walk around on offense. And I think it was the most incisive criticism I've heard a coach give publicly of his team all season. Because in one five-word or whatever sentence, he diagnosed everything that was wrong with their offense. And they fixed it immediately. They started screening, running their cuts doing everything with some oomph, with some urgency. And that's, you can't, it doesn't, it, it almost doesn't matter how talented, it matters how talented you are, but you take away from your talent 
when you run stuff at half speed. Your talent can't sing as loud that way. They fell back into that habit in that game, particularly as it was getting away from them. And yep. they've fallen back into that habit a little bit. And look, you want to wish – like, I agree with you. Like, I'm not worried about them. I would put them number two on my Western Conference who can actually win the conference power rankings behind Denver. But Minnesota's awesome. Oklahoma City is awesome. Dallas looks super dangerous. All these teams are good. They got to get back to that sense of urgency before the playoffs start. And the last thing I'll say about the West before I let you cook, part of the reason this is so interesting is these four teams at the top of the West who have separated themselves from the rest of the conference for a long time now, Minnesota, Oklahoma City, Denver Clippers. You know, for all the belly aching you hear about how all teams play the same style in the NBA, spread, pick, and roll, shoot a bunch of threes, these four teams are so stylistically and structurally different. It's <laughs> absolutely fascinating to dig into how any matchup between the four would work. Who would have what advantage? Oh, that team would have this advantage over that team. I mean, they they are four completely different teams in every possible way. It's really interesting. And that's why I love the West. And you're absolutely correct. And speaking, you know, just to put a bow on the Clippers, watching versus that Laker, the Lakers game, they were very casual. And I'm glad you said that because at first it's like you hear Ty Lue and you're like, hey, we can't walk around. That's what they were doing. But like there's a sense of accountability and there's a sense of response that you see from them that I think is unique when a coach says something and then you can see the progress. And I also do think that fourth quarter, they just like let their guard down. They're like, oh, we're up 21. Oh, are they really going to do this? And then LeBron James goes on the heater, <laughs> you know? So I don't want to too overact too much, but. No, no, no. But yeah, like, I would like to get like button it up. You like get transparency. Healthy and button it up. Yes. Thank you. That part. The West. I have so many thoughts on the West. I don't know if you want to dive into it, but like the Dallas Mavericks to me, we're talking about the doldrums of post all-star. None over there in Dallas. I don't know if you caught that first game back by Kyrie Irving. He had a pep in his step. He was throwing that ball around. He was finishing like crazy. It was one of those games where you're just watching and it's sort of weird. I, I don't know why, but I should be used to him in this uniform, but you still like, there's so many different identities of Kyrie Irving, you know, on the court. That's where I want to stick to. And now it's like, okay, it really feels like he's with Luca now. You can see them when they walk off of the court, they're high-fiving, they're kikiing, they're, they're looking at you like, there is a real chemistry building in Dallas amongst their backcourt. So much so that we discovered that they are, by record, the most clutch team in the NBA, 17-7, and seven, I think, as it was two days ago. Luca, I am still mystified at how he controls the pace. No one can stop him from going where he wants to go, doing what he wants to do, shooting the shots he wants to shoot. And then now I think it's like, oh, now I'm just going to just get my passing game off. These passes that we're seeing from him are crazy. Kyrie is clicking. They were the worst, I think, defensive rebounding team in January. They responded by getting bigs at the deadline. A little improvement there. I would not want to see them in the West versus anybody. Well, we, well, we all did this question this week. Who outside of the top four has the best chance to win a playoff series, to win a round? Because that's like anything above that is like now you're just – it's heavyweight boxing. It's it's just – it's a slugfest. And I – when I answered it, I said, look, I got to put the Warriors and the Lakers in a separate boat because they, until they get out of ninth and tenth, it's just – we they got to do – they got to jump some so much. some some, some uh, hurdles. I said Dallas, and the answer should be Phoenix. 
Phoenix should be the no-brainer answer to this team. They have an incredible big three. Royce O'Neal has fit in fantastically for them. I, like, until, like, and the big three did get about 20 games together consecutively before Beal got hurt again. And I I just got to see it again before I vault them over Dallas. Um, Dallas is terrifying. By the way, the Thunder are going to sign Mike Muscala. Does that does that change your life at all? According to according to the great Adrian Wojnarowski. Bing, 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 boom, Woj bomb. Uh, it does because it's interesting. You know, maybe they're really trying to. I mean, how many? They have they have so many options for the future. But look, the Thunder, their record is ahead of schedule. Do you think that that do you are you one of those people that think they can win two rounds? Yeah. Yeah, I don't really get now. Like, like, like everybody wants these hot takes. Like, it's got to be either this or that. They could absolutely win two rounds, and they could absolutely lose to the Dallas Mavericks in the first round of the playoffs. Like, both of those <laughs> things can be true. Two things I don't know can who be I, true. I don't know who I would pick in that series, but like, I don't, I don't really worry about the Thunder's lack of experience or even like their, you know, their lack of a huge body. We'll see how they use Biombo, but Muscala is not that. He's another stretch five. I just think they've proven like they're very hard to play. They're very, very hard to play. By the way, my trivia. I told you I had a trivia question. You, you jogged my, you jogged my mind. Um, there are about 450 players in the NBA. I want you to guess. You mentioned crunch time. What player has the highest individual plus minus in crunch time this year, defined as the last five minutes of games with the score within five points? The highest individual plus minus of any player, and there are 450 players. I'm guessing I could give you 100 guesses, and you would not get the answer. I, I would then give I'm you not, 20. Then why do I even guess? No, but because now I'm setting you up. If like you actually get it, it's going to be a, a, a an event. Is it a major player or is it a middle? Like, how would you describe the player? All star caliber. Okay, this is good. I'll give you a little hint. Uh, zero time all star, unlikely to ever make an all star team, having a little bit of a breakout this year on a mediocre team. Can stand you, Zach Lowe. Eastern Conference. I'm looking right now. This is this is challenging. It's like I wouldn't have. I just happened to look up the crunch time stats today because I wanted to look at Jokic's numbers, and I was like, "Who is it? Just tell me." Checking in at plus eighty three, number one in the league, over Derek White, who's number two, over Drew Holiday, who's number three. Not surprisingly, the Celtics populate this list. Kobe White of the Chicago Bulls oh, that is been... number one in individual look, plus minus in crunch time. Look, I think you sold him short. He's hoping this year. He's hooping. Is he likely to make an all-star team? Or did you bet your life on Kobe White making an all-star team? Absolutely not because of his team. <laughs> but he's no, very no. good. I said he's having no, a little no, breakout. I, I think it's a big breakout. Okay. It's a full-on acne breakout. Okay. I was literally uh, thinking that. I was trying to think of he like he's fully in need of proactive, like just full-on breakout. Okay, let's switch conferences and topics. Uh, the Milwaukee Bucks have won four games in a row. They are now seven and seven under Doc Rivers. Uh, those four games have come against the Wolves. Great win on the road. The Sixers without Embiid and Charlotte twice. So you make of it what you will. Uh, under Doc Rivers, they are 16th in offense. That's trending b- well, believe it or not. They were in the mid-20s a couple weeks ago. 
And fifth in defense, the problem he was hired to fix, they have instantly become one of the three best transition defense teams in the league since Doc Rivers took over, which was the lowest possible hanging fruit. Just, like, correct that and we'll be all right. Um, Damian Lillard's play remains concerning to me. Um, He's shooting 42%, 34% on threes, 49% on twos. The pick and roll with Giannis is good when they run it. Sometimes, sometimes they don't run it much. He runs many more pick and rolls with Brooke Lopez and those are working fine. It's more than that though. It's like, he just looks off kilter to me in a lot of games. Like, like he's, he's going up for layups, like a half step earlier, a half step late. And it's affecting the release he has to put on the shot and, and the trajectory of the shot and all that. There's been a lot of like weird turnovers where the ball just slips out of his hands or last night against Charlotte, he threw a couple passes against blitzes where it was like, that was not even close to open. Like that guy was like in the passing lane before you even threw the pass. And Chris Middleton's obviously hurt. It goes without saying that they need Dame to be better and they need Middleton to be healthy to have any shot against um, the Celtics. So let's start with Dame. I know, you know, Dame, what, What's hap- what I mean, it's not like he's been bad, but he just doesn't look like Damian Lillard consistently enough for me. And I'm starting to be like, we're 60 games in almost. It's the transition. Again, haven't talked to Dame in a, maybe a month or so, but it's, it's the transition, you know? I'll just say this. This is the context in which I think a lot of times people assume, oh, no matter where you go, who you are, you should be able to fit, plug in, and play. The NBA doesn't always work that way. It's very, we always talk about how it's hard for a team to be assembled, no matter how great they are. Phoenix, most notably the case, and win in their first year. It's very difficult to go through that. Dame has been transparent that he's having a lot going on in his life, right? Um and I will say this, when the news dropped that he was going to the Bucks, immediately I texted him. I said, hey, fam, because one, like checking in on you and two, we're about to go on air. And I wanted to make sure I always like to give my guys an opportunity to tell me something so that I can put out what they feel is most authentic to them. And he said, really, Chanae, like, I don't really have much to say. I'm just still processing this, meaning this is not something that he had on his vision board, probably. His vision board had South Beach had different teammates, um, and even talking to him in the years past, he had explored the thought of when, when is, wh- how long do you maintain lo- loyalty, right? It's the same thing that I went through this offseason talking to my sister, leaving the LA Sparks. Hey, y'all, low post. We're getting an NBA, WNBA crossover Let's here. Let's do it. This is my life. You know, I talked to her. I had, I had these same conversations with Dame two years ago. Now this offseason, I'm having the same conversations with my sister, Neca who had spent 12 years with the Los Angeles Sparks and like important to her was legacy. To Dame, it's legacy. Everywhere he goes, it's all about legacy, being true to the community he's from. And so it was a very difficult decision for both of them to leave. And I think when leaving, my sister, and I don't, let me not speak for her, but she had a vision too of what the next chapter could be like. But she remained, she had an open mind, you know? I'm not sure if, you know, Dame, he had probably more of a direct vision. And so the abruptness of 
which the trade happens. You go to Milwaukee and things come at him fast in the middle of a time of life transition. That's the only reason why I think maybe what we're seeing from him on the floor is a little bit of discomfort. You know, he's left his complete comfort zone. He went from Weaver State where he was that guy to Portland to that guy to now tag teaming with another guy. And, you know, that all-star game, the MVP, the three-point contest, I know Dame, Dame is a killer. Like, he loves the spotlight. He loves the moment. He's so competitive. He was at home in Indianapolis on that stage, even when people were booing him when he got off MVP because they're like, oh, Halliburton. Like, he's just that guy. He was there with his family. I think that the acclimation to Milwaukee, it's not, it's not just for players to go out there and just play in hoop. They have to reprocess what they thought their future was their teammates were, learn a new system. There's a lot going on. And now to the floor. I think you mentioned, you know, the Bucks defensively. But it's funny. The easiest thing to coach when you have an, a, a, a locker room with an ear that listens is transition defense. That's one of those things where if you aren't doing that, that's can get you yanked off of the floor with a swiftness, no matter <laughs> who you are. So the fact that Doc can come in better with fast break points per game, better in transition defense, those are the baselines for coaching. What I'm looking for to in the next month or so, I watched that Hornets game. There was there were good vibes between Giannis and Dane. I think the first half of the season, Giannis in his game was trying to search and figure out what would be successful for this team. We saw games where he would go for 50. We saw games where he'd go for 10 and try to up the assist. I think he's had a couple triple-doubles so far this season. Like, in his game individually, he was searching. But now, small sample size. That all-star, maybe that helps bring those two together and say, like, yo, we've got a talent here. We're both stars in this league. I saw the lookout, look out for each other for the first time in a long time between those two. That, to me, is promising. Well, the Dame Giannis pick and roll has proven just more complex to just spam than we all thought it was going to be. And that's the reality of the NBA. Um, they haven't even used it that much more under Doc than they were under Adrian Griffin. And I think that's a lot of things. I think, you know, it's a new kind of pick and roll screener for Dame. It's Giannis having to navigate, like, I'm averaging 31 points a game. How many how many ball screens do I really – I'm not Clint Capella. Like, I'm not going to do this 40 times a game. Um, and it's it's navigating, like, it sounds great. Like, blitz Dame, Giannis slips into open space. It's a four on three. They're going to get great shots every time. Defenses from the preseason on were very clear, like, those shots are not going to be dunks. We're going to be in the paint with multiple bodies before you catch the ball, and we're going to make you kick it to somebody else. And that's why Middleton changes the whole look and feel of this team. Because if the three guys around that pick and roll are Middleton, Beasley, who just outside of the three-point shootout, which he lobbied to be in for two years and then was horrible in, is shooting the hell out of it. Um, it, it's, it, it and Brooke Lopez, if he's the worst non-Yana shooter on the floor, that looks and feels different than if it's Crowder and Lopez. And with all due respect to Jay Crowder, who I love as a role player, teams are not scared of him shooting. They're not scared of Connaughton shooting. They're not really scared of anybody shooting other than Chris Middleton in the regular rotation and, and Dame and Beasley and all that of, of the support guys. Um, there's that. Um, what have you thought of 
so you mentioned you mentioned you mentioned that you watched the the Charlotte game. I've watched a lot of the recent Bucks games. So I'm trying to figure out what other than transition defense and having Lopez hang back to the paint, which was already happening. What else are they doing differently on defense? And I watched Aggressive that game last. I watched that game last night, and I'm like, I'm still kind of trying to figure it out because they're switching a decent amount, including switching Dame and Beasley into matchups that are not good for them. And and their rotations, like if they need to send help at a bad mismatch, their rotations are not always like on point. Um, and, you know, sometimes the switches make sense. Like if you're going to switch um, like Portis and Giannis at the point of attack, that's fine because one of them is going to be near the rim, preferably Giannis, right? If, but if you're going to switch, so, some matchups don't make that much sense. Like there was a pick and roll last night. It's a deep, deep cut. But it was a Brandon. No, Miller no, I've got tra- something for you. Keep going. It was, keep a, going. Bra- it was a Brandon Miller, Trey Young pick or Trey Man pick and roll. There's a lot of trays and a lot of cams right now in the and NBA. Jaylen. So just a <laughs> lot of cam. Well, Jalen is, is just there everywhere. Shout out Jalen Rose and Jalen Rose's mom. Um, uh, Brandon Miller, Ter- uh, Trey Man, they switch, and it's a Beasley Giannis switch. Beasley takes Brandon Miller. Fine, that's a fine switch. I don't care about that switch. Then Brandon Miller runs a pick and roll with Nick Richards, so it's a wing big pick and roll. Portis is on Nick Richards. Portis switches on to Brandon Miller. Malik Beasley does not switch on to Nick Richards. Nick Richards rolls open to the rim and draws a foul. And Portis and Beasley have this talk like what what happened. And, and, and it looked like Portis took the blame for it. But I'm not sure if he was saying if the blame was we didn't talk it out or I was actually supposed to switch. And that's the growing pains of any defense that's adjusting on the fly. But it's been interesting because it's not as simple as Doc just like, we're going to play like we did under Bud. They're not playing really like they did under Bud. They're trying to mix in a lot of different things. And I know they're playing well, and I know they've won four in a row. I, Giannis and Brooke are unbelievable protecting the rim. I still am not quite sold that there's been like a defensive revolution outside of transition for the Bucks. There hasn't been, but... All right, you you ready for my deep cut? Like my yes. real hoop brain thoughts. What you just described as a current basketball player, that is reverse psychology by a coach. Up the differences, up the different defensive assignments. Hey, we're going to switch. All right, some of the switches don't make sense. What you just described, the communication amongst the Bucks, that communication wasn't happening the first half of the season. You do that knowing that they may fail, but they are holding each other accountable on the floor. That's coaching reverse psychology. A lot of times when I go and play, there are game plans where we're like, oh, are we really want to switch her onto her? We do that because we want people to work on their defense. We want people to be proactive and help rotations. We want people to be ready for anything that comes in the second level of the defense. And so that to me is Doc Rivers. It's not necessarily the scheme. It's the fact that he's choosing to be aggressive. All right, drop coverage wasn't working for y'all in the first you know, half of the season, let's switch. Let's win. I, I watched Buck games for the first half. The point of attack was, tr- sorry, sorry, Bucks fans, but it was trash defensively. Like there was no intensity getting over. Don't ap- no apologies today. Okay, this is a safe space. Their point of attack defense was trash. Like no matter how bad of a defender you, you are, you still got to put that effort in to try to get over, right? What you do is you put in a lot of schemes so that when you approach every game, 82 games, now you have players saying, shoot, I got to know what I'm doing on this play, on that play. Like, it's no longer we've got Giannis and Brooke behind us. 
and they're going to just have to, you know, clean things up. So to me, it's not necessarily the actual schemes. It's the every game, something different, holding you accountable, holding you to the idea of having those communications. So what, when you were talking this whole time, I was like, that's so funny. Like, I know what's happening here. They're just challenging us to be better and grow together and be more accountable as teammates defensively. Um, but that's so, my deep cut, like, gut. I, I like it because the Bucks are still very much a work in progress. Um, the good news for them is, despite the fact that they have an absolutely brutal schedule for the rest of the season, what's happened to the Knicks <laughs> and the Sixers has all but assured them that they will be in the 2-3 bracket in the Eastern Conference, barring something horrible happening, which means, A, in the second round, if you get there, and like I'm not assuming anything given who could fall into the play-in tournament and be seventh or who could end up at six. It could be Embiid. It could be Miami. And nobody wants the Heat anywhere, anytime, um, particularly the Bucks, who see ghosts when they see the Heat. Um, uh, but they're in the 2-3 bracket, so you avoid Boston until the conference finals. Boston is easily the best team in the East. Um, and you get potentially Cleveland in the second round if Cleveland wins a series, an untested, very good but untested Cavs team. So that's a friendly bracket if it sticks that way for Milwaukee. And the good news about a work in progress is there's progress. There is an end game. And the end game of this team, if Chris Middleton is healthy, and I can't stress this enough, this is like the biggest if in the entire NBA maybe, is like this guy, the Bucks are either a title contender or they're not. And it really depends in large part on, can this guy be available to play 35 minutes, 32 minutes every playoff game? Because we have not really seen that level of availability off a little bit as he ramped up and then he got hurt again. Um, but the end game, the end product could be the second best team in the East with a puncher's chance at more than that of beating Boston and a legit absolute stone cold lock title contender. That could be where we're headed, but as of now, they're not quite that. And that could be okay. But this is why I continue to say, this is the most interesting team for the next 20 games. This is the team I am most excited to watch every single night because it's 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 a offers the most potential education for me about what this team could look like while we're here if you look at the Tim Bontem straw poll and just listen to us all talk about MVP every day it seems like it's going to be a two man race between Jokic and SGA with Jokic ahead Jokic by the way 32 of 58 uh in crunch time put away the heat last night without Jamal Murray uh, he sprained his ankle. One of the great crunch time. One of the, he, he will go down as maybe the best crunch time big man in history because you just don't see big men who are able to dominate crunch time. It's harder for big men to dominate crunch time because they it's hard to get them the ball. Not for him. Uh, by the way, I've heard Jamal Murray is this is the Denver is very optimistic. This is a very minor, a few days, a week, whatever. Not too long ankle sprain for him. Um, why isn't Giannis in the MVP? Why isn't Giannis like? right at the near or at the top of the MVP conversation. 31 points, 11 rebounds, a career-high six-and-a-half assists. Um, he's an incredible defensive player. The Bucks, for all their warts and chaos, have the same net rating as the Nuggets and a roughly equivalent record. Why, why has he been relegated to third fiddle? Zach, you recused your vote, right? Yeah, I'm not going to vote this year. I might vote next year. I might get it back next year. So I got my first vote for All-Star. Yay, this year. I don't know if I should know if I'm voting, but I would love to because I, I you know, we're nerds. We're basketball nerds, so I would love to. This is probably, I'm looking at this year's MVP, and I'm also looking at the news from the NBA that they're reviewing to see if offenses 
too much at an advantage right now because there are so many cases for MVP. Now, logically, uh, going back to Jokic, when it was Jokic and Embiid last year, a lot of people said, hey, Embiid should get it because look at him defensively, look at his rebounding numbers. What did Jokic, what is he doing right now? Isn't it 12 rebounds now? So it's Jokic, like quietly. Yeah, he's, he's, Jokic is the best <laughs> defensive rebounder in the NBA, and I wrote about this today. The single most terrifying sight in professional basketball from the perspective of opposing teams and opposing fans is if your center goes for an offensive rebound and Jokic <laughs> goes for the same rebound and Jokic gets it and he turns and spins and starts dribbling up the court and your center's behind him, just close your eyes because it's going to be bad for your team. It is the most terrifying sight in professional basketball. Yeah, touchdowns right there. This is the theme of our low-post podcast. Um, yeah, Jokic, I mean, there there have been multiple cases. We got ourselves into a little hot water because of what Perk said, right, about Sabonis. And I think to, to clarify – um, he was saying conversation, and we thought he said favorite. But if I'm you not look, in any hot water. I made a funny face because it was a ridiculous take. I mean, okay, but we're not in. I'm in. I'm in a warm bath with bubbles was all a, around. There's I no bad water. You're no, but it was just interesting because it was spicy, and it felt like people thought that. Th- this is my point. We're talking triple doubles. You talk Jokic. We're talking triple doubles. We're talking about Sabonis. We're talking about Luka Doncic. You know, it's it's fascinating to see where the game is and how, okay, Luca and Sabonis, their teams are less, I guess you can say, relevant, but not too far away from the Nuggets. Who Where, where are they right now in the standings, by the way? Uh, the Kings are uh, eighth with a point differential of 0.3 points per game. The Nuggets are six games ahead of them with a plus 4.2 point differential. They reside in different universes of the world. And also knowing that the Nuggets are coasting, right? Like we know that they're early in the first half, they were dropping games where people were like, hold up, do you guys, what's going on on the road? And they're like, hey, we're good. We got this when we need to. We've seen in in nearly every signature game them show up. Citing home and, road splits, very on point for a Houston Rockets fan, and we will talk. Don't you in a dare! Bit about the don't Houston you Rockets. dare about our ninth straight road loss! I can't stand you, man. But yeah, I mean MVP. I think Giannis. There, there's a case for Tatum. There's a case for Giannis. There's a case for Jokic. And then if we're, you know, I think the what separates Jokic clearly is his ability to touch every facet of the game. And if you're saying that defense defensively per mobility, like it doesn't matter because this guy's up to his rebounding. And that's the point that I was just trying to make before the game. I don't know. I just think that the NBA is reviewing this offense and it has made our MVP hierarchy, a conundrum. It's still Jokic. I love SGA 43 out of 50 something 30 point games (laughs) this season. Um, and then outside of that, there are many arguments for many players. And that's where, to me, it would get very, very hard. Uh, if I had a vote, I would vote for Jokic right now. I just think he's the best player. Um, but Giannis has been unfairly, I think, relegated to like fourth or fifth fiddle in this discussion. And he's been better than that. But the top four, I, I don't – I've said this already. Like I don't really see a Tatum case. but Because to me, the top four in some order are Jokic, SGA, Giannis, and Luka. Um, they're just individually incredible, and we'll see how the standings shake out. If you you can make a case for Tatum, like I, I so are I you saying Tatum and Ant Edwards are sort of beneficiary beneficiaries of their team success? 
Well, and it's it, I've already said this, but it's, it's not it's in a way not fair to hold it against Jason Tatum that the rest of his team is awesome and so he does not have to score 32 points a game and whatever, but even by efficiency stats and advanced stats, he's not on the level of those guys. And by the way, that's okay. Like those guys are mm-hmm. incredible. The advanced stats for the most part will still tell you it's um it's Jokic and yet they have Giannis fourth for the most part, but that's not all of them, but most of them. Uh, but uh, but I have one other uh, one other Celtic stick. Can I can I get off a Celtic stick? I would love this. Um, we've start it started to happen when Miami starts to starts to <laughs> not, not that the Herculean. Celtics have any not that the Celtics have any control necessarily over who they play. They're so far ahead, and I haven't looked at their last five games to see if they can strategically sit guys against Team X so that they go there seventh or sixth or whatever. But it's like. <laughs> boy, the Celtics would love to avoid Miami or this or that. I'm like, I don't think the Celtics – the Celtics have reached a point where I don't even want to hear them discuss their opponent. I want them to be like the Bucks the year the Bucks won the title when on the last day of the season they had a chance, and I don't remember exactly how. I think they had to win the game. They could have avoided Miami in the first round of the playoffs. Miami has been their, had been their nemesis from the bubble, and they were like, no, bring us Miami. If we're going to win this goddamn thing – we are not going to be afraid of anybody, and that's going to be our attitude. Bring Conquer us the our heat. demons. Let the chips fall where they may. I don't want to hear anything about, oh, the Celtics have to avoid this team. The Celtics should be just on their own plane. Be like, we'll just we'll play anybody. That's my Celtics take. Um, rookie of the year. Uh, we had Chet versus Wemby last night. I don't know if you caught any of that game. I did. Inc- incredible Spurs win. Um, an awesome Wemby performance. I think he's more or less wrapped up rookie of the year. I mean, the only Chet has been incredible by the way, in like nine out of 10 seasons, he wins rookie of the year. And I had Chet for the first 20 or 30 games when his efficiency was so much higher than when Benyama's that gap is kind of, it's not closed, but when you account for teammate quality and shot quality, the field goal percentage gap is generally about where you would expect it. The other advanced numbers are very, very close, and the raw stats and the defense all just Wemby, Wemby, Wemby. And the way he's surging, I mean, we said, I said this yesterday, like, we got to sit back for a second. This dude, who came in with more hype than anybody since LeBron James, has exceeded the hype, exceeded it. He has been better than I expected him to be on both ends of the floor. And I said he would walk into the NBA as one of the 15 best defenders in the NBA. He has exceeded all expectations. He is improbably surging toward the end of his rookie season after a busy summer. And um, when most rookies would hit the wall, on a bad team, he is getting better and better and better on both ends of the floor as the season goes on. You cannot say enough about this dude. He is the future face of the NBA. We're going to talk about his ceiling today, apparently, on NBA Countdown. What's a reasonable ceiling for him? This, the ceiling, you haven't put it on the house. Like, there is no ceiling. This dude is just unbelievable. Um, and Chet is unbelievable, too. Uh, thoughts on the Spurs and Wemby and Rookie of the Year? So, I've been that person. Maybe it's the Texas in me that has always kept an open mind when Richard and Perk have said, it's Chet, it's Chet, it's Chet. And I'm like, you guys are discrediting Wemby because he's on a bad team, you know, and they would say, oh, well, Chet's called on to do more. You're right. Nine out of 10 seasons, it's going to be Chet. But this season, he's up against Wemby. And the numbers from points to blocks to um, just every major category Wemby has, and he's created an even greater divide 
amongst Chet. Not no knocks on Chet because only Wemby could have defended Chet the way he did to cause some of those headaches. And I know that that clip's been circling the internet um, with the block Wemby blocking Chet, but when Chet had his way in the first half, like Chet was balling too. So one area that people were critical of Wemby when they started, I'm talking about my boys. They were saying, Perk was like, I need Wemby to rebound more. Richard's like, he can't shoot threes. I've been watching the last few and I'm not really great. Cause I wanted, as you were talking, I wanted to look up the numbers. I went to the ESPN app right now. And I think that when you click Victor and you click L10, that's their last 10, right? Typically I do this on, he's shooting 42% from three, the last 10 games where a lot of people were like, oh, three is going to take a while. We're not just getting catch and shoot threes now. We're getting in between the legs, step back threes. We're getting the Spurs sending him brush. Victor Webinyama 7-4, setting him brush screens for threes. We're getting in transition pull-up threes from his teammates. I'm watching it like, what is going on? So, yeah, rookie of the year. It's Wemby. And it's it, and and like you said, you know, it's going to be hard for me, in my opinion, to move him off of this. But from that 27, 10, 8, 5, and 5 game to in this matchup. My 5 by 5 game. I spoke it into existence. I said he was going to get it. a 5 by 5 game. You and that next, night, he got a 5 by 5 game. I think you said he's going to get it that night. He might get Full another credit. he might get another one by the end of the season. He comes close every game. He is going to set the all-time NBA record whatever it is and again this blocks have not were not recorded for the Bill Russell era and all that. He's going to set the all-time record for 5 by 5. It's not even going to be close. Correct. I'm just watching. I'm trying to remember the two plays I saw. He did a hook shot versus the um, the Thunder and that hook shot he shot the sh- hook shot down. Like he shot hook shots, you're supposed to arc up. He threw it down. Never seen that before in my life. <laughs> and then I think it was one of those, you know. We gotta come up with the, we gotta come up with a different name for it then. The drop. We have to drop stuff. Is it the drop shot? Is it the yeah, tier, I don't know, you, We already like have that. a teardrop. So yeah, I mean, I've always been open minded for Wemby in this back head to head, and it delivered. And you could see how happy he was to win. Come on, Spurs! Try to win. Come well, on. It, this it's funny because win. the argument for Chet is the wins and losses. And it's not just the exactly. wins and losses. And the gap between them is quite wide. And Wendy said yesterday on the show that Wemby would like that gap closed or to be closing by next season. I'm like, that's cool. It's hard to close the gap in one season between the worst team in the West and maybe the best team in the rest record-wise or right there. Um, and and the, it's not just the wins and losses. It's that, like, one guy's games matter. And one guy's games don't. Like, there are consequences if the Thunder lose a game. Their seed changes. Their opponent changes. The whole field of the If they go on a three-game losing streak, it's like, all right, we got to kind of button it up a little bit. The Spurs go on a three-game losing streak, and everyone's like, oh, well, Detroit's lost a million games in a row. Nobody notices. Um, But Wemby doesn't play like there are no stakes. He plays like there are stakes. And lately, I got my eye on Devin Vassell. Devin Vassell has six or more assists. In five of San Antonio's last seven games, and Wendy mentioned closing the gap. Vassell is obviously a keeper. Period. Like he's the second most important player on the Remember team. Remember when they announced his new deal and how everyone was like, "What? Huh?" You were like, "No, yes." You were the first one. We're like, "No, yes." They love him. Now they know they need better perimeter play, better passing, better playmakers for Wendy. 
I expect the Spurs this summer to at least look around at like, all right, what what big name guards who are 28 and under? Because Wemby's ready. Like they don't need to wait too long, and they're gonna get their, they're gonna get probably a, their last top five pick in a in a draft in the Wemby era this coming year. We'll see who they get. Um, I I think they're gonna look around now. Maybe they don't find the right guy available. I've already mentioned like. I think they'll have at least some meetings internally about Trey Young. And, like, if we'll see how the Hawks play and how this season ends. But they've got all Atlanta's picks and some other stuff to trade. I actually kind of like that fit. Um, of all Trey Young fits, I, I kind of like that potential fit. I don't know what will happen. I don't know if Atlanta will have any interest. I don't know if the Spurs at the end of the day will actually call Atlanta and have any interest, to be clear. But I don't think that door is shut for the Spurs. I find it interesting. Um what did I, are you? Oh, I was at the uh, the Wizards Lakers game last night, and, and congratulations. The, the well, no, I don't need congratulations for that. The Wizards have nine wins. Jordan Poole finally had a good game. I'm actually happy for him. I was like literally, I'm legitimately like worried All about what's were. happened to Jordan All Poole. Of us. Um, by the way, my pet Jordan Poole theory is is the punch is fine. Like the punch is obviously a traumatic moment and, and a pivot point in his career. I. Remember early last season in, a, in November, so November 1st, the NBA decided we care about carrying violations now. We're going to enforce carrying violations. Yep. And in one Warriors Heat game, he was whistled for three carrying violations in the same game. He got whistled for one the other night, and it jogged my memory. Like, he carries the ball. Like, he does it a lot. It made it all over. The, it made it on the show. Remember? It was I, on the I, top. Not top of the top somehow. I wonder if that got in his head. Like the NBA has taken away a lot of my pet moves, or I like my. I got to think a little harder when I go into crossovers and all that stuff. Anyway, I'm talking to people from the Wizards. I don't know if you remember this, but the lottery. I was in the lottery room last last year. First, the the first three balls come up right. I think it was fourteen eight and five, or fourteen five and eight in that order. The ping the numbered ping pong balls, all high numbers. The representative for the Wizards immediately knows, oh, we're in the game. So there are 11 balls left in the hopper after the first three. There's 15 seconds or 10 seconds between balls. So there's like a 10-second window when this is possible. There are 11 balls left. Six of those 11 balls, if any of those six come up, when Benyama's on the Wizards. Six of 11 left were Wizards combinations. Oh, man. The Magic had one. The Pacers had one. And I don't remember the rest of the breakdowns. But And then the Wizards are sitting there like, of course the freaking Spurs. I'm t- literally last night again, I'm talking to Wizards <laughs> people like, can you believe the freaking Spurs? Like, they're set They're set for 15 years for because of one losing season and one lottery night. They, they are set. Like, they can mess it up. They can screw it up. But, like, whatever. They have – this guy is so good. Don't, don't um, tell me that the Wizards are – in the draft lottery groundhog day, they're living a loop in a perpetual cycle of what could have happened. Um, I'm going to let you pick as we wrap up here. Um, the Pelicans are a team that you are very interested in talking about. And I am always very interested in talking about, and your Houston Rockets are, it's not going great. They're now 25 and 34. Their offense has fallen into the toilet. Uh, I've hated the Jalen Green experience for the last month, and I feel <laughs> uh, personally betrayed because I was optimistic about him going into the season. And he's—it's just—it's just ugly. It's ugly. I love Jabari. I, like I still have faith in Jalen Green, but it's just like something is just totally off kilter. I love Jabari Smith. I love his rebounding. 
pick pick one of the teams. You want to talk Pels or Rockets? I'll talk both. That's what we call the Dirty South, the Texas Louisiana combo. Can you explain to people what effective field goal percentage is? It accounts for threes and free throws, so it's going to be higher than your. It's going to be different than your raw field goal percentage because obviously, if you shoot a lot of threes, your field goal percentage is going to be lower because they're lower percentage shots, but they count for more points, and so effective field goal percentage accounts for that. Got it. So that's what Jalen Green suffers with. I think categorically, his shots just aren't as beneficial, even though he does. He did have an outburst versus the Suns, right, and was able to touch those high numbers like thirty. And, and I, I saw the game. I saw the game, and I hated it. I hated it. He did played you, selfishly. Did, what, what did you hear? What What about the Cam Whitmore, Devin Booker, for kerfuffle? Devin Booker is is just gets into it, man. I like it, but he gets into it with lots of people. And by the way, Cam Whitmore. Uh, did not hide his displeasure with Jalen Green not passing to him on two or three occasions when he was wide-ass open last night. And they are like the Spider-Man meme, the two of them. Like, they're not the same size. Cam Whitmore is more of a bully. But, like, <laughs> they are out there to shoot the basketball. Yeah, uh, it's been bad. It's been rough. It's been tough. Um, last time we talked here on the Low Post, you were like, hey, you're not going to get a better option. Wasn't it like the, did they dabble with Mikhail Bridges' ideas at the trade deadline? I, I don't know there, if I there read was that. there was some there was some dabbling. I don't I don't know for sure exactly how serious the dabbling got or what Houston would have been willing to offer. But um, look, I, nine I still yeah we've sh- we've struggled on we've struggled on the road consistently this season. But now we're in like back into that startup season slump. And you know it I everything that could have been like a shiny thing. There was like this campaign for Shangun in the All Star game while he gets respect. From all the NBA players, you know, it just – things have crumbled he's kind of, quite He's kind quickly. of slowed down. He's kind of slowed down too. He a, has. A he has. Um, so I'll, then why don't we just segue? I don't know. I, I, I'm a GPS girl. I don't know which highway you take from wait, Houston. Wait, can I, can I oh. just – I just want to say, like, I still have hope for Jalen Green. The athleticism and the speed is is just outrageous. Special. And one of 100. And I'm glad for the Rockets fans' sake that they did not trade him at the trade deadline because I just think he's too young and they're not they're too far away to make that kind of move. But if this doesn't get better soon and he doesn't figure out a right balance in his game soon, I mean I know Ime Udoka, like they're not gonna be that patient there. They wanna win. They also just yeah. need guys who can shoot. Like they are the worst shooting. They are Correct. Their shooting percentages are awful from everywhere. They can't shoot. They can't shoot. And straight. they tried it. And they I miss to Tari Eason. Defense. I'm starting to get worried about this Tari Eason injury that's kind of never ending. Like I don't like I don't have oh, a that good is feeling true. about it. That is true. That is true. I didn't think about it. I just thought of he made us so excited over the course of this season that I forgot about the issues before. I'm starting to but, wonder if we're gonna see him again this season. I probably based on how things are looking, I probably would not bet my house on him coming. Okay, you wanted to you wanted to segue, segue. I would like to take a drive down the I-45. Uh, no, no, no. That's I-45 to Dallas. I'm going to uh, New Orleans, baby. We're going to New Orleans. Pelicans, Pelicans, Pelicans. So it feels like the last – I mean, there's – you can't really call it a signature win, but, like, the all eyes on Madison Square Garden, even though the Knicks are depleted, was a great showcase of what uh, the New Orleans Pelicans have been doing. I think also there's been a lot of conversation that was – unfortunately not correct on Zion Williamson, meaning, and, and I think Stephen A was joking and, you know, I love Stephen A, so it's all good, but his availability playing in almost, I think 50 games so far this season, my criteria for Zion was to be awards eligible for them to really have a shot. He's on track for that. 
I just like the construction of this team. Uh, my little sister actually played with Trey Murphy the third. I think he spent a year or so in, at Rice. And so I've always had an eye on him. He actually came in studio too. Jones, uh, Brandon Ingram, like they have guys that are all 6'6 and above that are skilled, that can shoot, and then they can play inside and out with Zion. We talk about point Zion. I think you broke it down earlier this week. But all else fails. Zion is just on the block, and he's literally waiting for a double team to come, and then he two hands chucks it out. And then they just – it's so simple. When they're knocking down shots and they've got their length and they've got most of their guys, they are going to be a problem. Prior to uh, their last game, I think they won nine or 12 games. I said, first of all, I did Sports Center and like the New Orleans Pelicans fans, I, my mouth was dry. I didn't have water. And I said, New Orleans. And I just had to keep going. Like, you can't even say our name right. I'm like, come on, y'all. Give me a break. They keep it spicy. They're very defensive of their team, their squad, and their stars. And I even joked when they had the kerfuffle with the Miami Heat which, by the way, was the, one of the funniest things ever because Zion gets fouled by Kevin Love. Everything ensues. And then Zion goes to the stand and says, oh, I don't think Kevin Love was trying to hurt me. Zion, read the room. No, they, were, they were fine. The two of them were like, oh, sorry. Okay, cool. Let's move on. Zion, read the room. Your team finally is showing that, hey, you can't mess with our guy. Our guy is balling. We're winning. Don't play with us. And Zion's like, wait, hold on. Why were we fighting <laughs> I thought that was ironic. I enjoy the Pelicans. I enjoy their fans. I enjoy uh, the that they're striving. Like, they are truly a sleeper team, even though they are in the playoffs. This is not a Pelicans team that is in the play-in, I think, today. Last time I checked, they were fifth. They could be firmly in the playoffs with a solid roster that can play versatile. Uh, I, just, I just have enjoyed what I've seen from them lately. I'm always fascinated by the Pelicans, and they're clearly very good. And they clearly present horrible matchup issues for almost anybody because Giannis is a tank that can fly, and you just don't Zion. see that. Zion. Or, Zion, sorry. You said versatility, and they are very versatile. And you mentioned all their wings. And Herb Jones shooting 40% from three-plus is one of Talk the biggest stories of a player improvement in the season, and it totally changes him as a player if this is real. Trey Murphy's starting to find it. You mentioned versatility. Versatility is a very good thing to have. I do think there's like there's versatility and uncertainty about what kind of team, you, what your identity should be, who should play with whom. And you can have both of those things at the same time. I think the Pelicans are somewhere in the blurry middle between being, yes, we're versatile, but we also like how much Zion at center do we play? Is Zion with an in-the-paint center, which is really the only kind of centers we have, although Larry can move around a little bit, Larry Nance Jr. Is that the vision that we want for our team? Because when we have him and Valanciunas or Nance on the floor, it's a little harder for him to finish. And like we saw against Indiana the other night, he's still not finishing as easily over and through length as he was when he was an all-NBA level player, almost made all-NBA a couple years ago. He's getting there, but he's not quite there yet. Um, And just like, you know, we have a lot of – players who lean offense more than defense what's our best two-way lineup but there's there when they get rolling they're really hard to beat Ooh. and and I just feel a little less certain about what their team is and how it should play 
than I would like to, but they have a pretty easy schedule for the rest of the season and a pretty damn good shot at being in the top six. And if they're in the top six, considering how little CJ, BI, and Zion have played together last year, this year, ever, that's a huge victory for this franchise. If they can just get into the playoffs and not have to go through the play-in, and, you know, just we'll see from there. You know, if they're 2-2 in the first round, that's great. But I think that would be a huge victory for them and a very, very good sign going forward that they have made good decisions, including sticking by Zion through a lot of noise. Yep. And I don't think the noise was totally unfair tonight. Like, he hasn't been in shape. Like, he has not been in great shape. But we I can't say that fair. this month. We can't say no. that this month. That's that's my thing. We can't say that now. <laughs> Uh, where are we going to see you this weekend, Shanae? You're doing some college stuff? No, 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 I'm not. Uh, my guy uh, is fighting. He's a heavyweight boxer. He has a fight today, and I'm here to support. But I did want to end with a you know, a little whip around of my TV show. Yes, you had, you, had, you had a thing. You have a TV show recommendation, which I'm always thrilled to have recommended to me. Okay, one day, look. Oh, wait, first of all, y'all, I launched a YouTube show. So all the listeners of the low post, if you want crazy Janae in 20-minute bites, us having fun, a little bit of pop culture, a lot of hoops, all hoops, period. We're talking about WBA, women's college, NBA, all that type of stuff. Check out my YouTube channel and our show. Yay. Two, my goodness, one day on Netflix, if you want a notebook-esque good cry, check that one out. It's really good. It's about 14, I think, episodes, coming-of-age story. Check out one day, y'all. Also, True Detective, Night Country. If you're into that series, heavy dramas. It is intense. It is something you need to be focused on. Have you watched any of these shows, Ed? No. Oh my gosh. Okay. Well, there, there's a, there's a very narrow Venn diagram of husband and wife low family shows like the overlap of the of shows that's fit in there are is not do you have, does not do you encompass oh we have we have a bunch but like anything sci-fi or super violent is going to be out um and so not night uh, country yeah you're good for one day is going to be good it's good one day is good okay love is blind everyone's talking about this show I, it seems only, like a waste. It seems like forgive me if this is a Disney property. I should. I have no idea what network it's, it's on. Not, it seems not. like a waste of my time. Do I actually like? What is the show? So I watched everything except the bear. That's on my list. Bears and very good. I was traveling. Bears in the bears oh. in the Venn diagram. Oh, okay. I was traveling. Uh, by the way, Io Edebere. I, I'm. I don't know her name properly. I should know as a Nigerian, but I need to support in all of her greatness. Love is Blind. I just watched two episodes because I had a long cross-country fight. It is wild. It is interesting. And I think because of the chaos, anybody can watch. I feel like that's a – I think so it's a family. Me, explain the children. show. Give me the elevator pitch. This is what the show is. When we want to find our significant other, our life partner, oftentimes the physical appearance, what you see – is what dictates your decision. This removes that from the equation. You have women in a women's quarter, men in a men's quarter, and they all live separately, but they enter pods where you get to date, but not see. So they're in these cute little mini living rooms with this window, or not window, like a big mirror. It almost looks like a portal in between where you are dating, but you can't see. So you're just talking and getting to know people. And so, you're dating multiple people, people, 
end up liking someone and they go back and they find out that that person might like someone else. But at the end of this, you can propose in four weeks and choose to marry someone from Love is Blind. And there's there's a lot of crazy drama in between. Was, wasn't yeah. there already a game show from like the 70s or 80s that did this? Well, I wouldn't know because that was not my genre. That was not my that was not my period. But it's it's just a, it's a it's a cultural phenomenon now. Like now everyone's watching it. So if you want to know what's going on, you gotta you gotta kind of watch. I don't think it's gonna happen, but I appreciate the I appreciate the the effort. One day, please suggest to Mrs. Lowe. One day, I think she'll like it. You know, Mrs. Lowe. Mrs. Lowe doesn't listen to this podcast, so I can I can say this. I can say I can reveal this publicly. Our daughter just turned nine. Mr. Lowe, aka me waged a year-long subtle ground ground war like a like a game of thrones character just little whispers here little whispers there to win to win for my daughter's ninth birthday the nintendo switch battle which was really two to one daughter and dad versus mom but she didn't realize how much dad was just laying just little hints little hints were dropped and finally she caved and we have nintendo switch in our house it was it's one of the great wins of my life honestly like i i just i can't believe i did it i can't believe i did it. she's she's never going to hear this she doesn't know but it was just a subtle just 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 like like little finger i know it doesn't end well i shouldn't say not little you, finger game of thrones um I just 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 i big victory for Congrats. that nintendo switch timeless good job thank Mr. you Lowe. all right shanae gumake good luck to your man um I told Thank him, you. I gave him some advice earlier, which was try not to get hit by the other guy. Um, that's that's my boxing analysis. Uh, <laughs> I'll see you soon. You're awesome on NBA Today and every right back countdown and all that stuff. I'll see you soon. Great to see you. Love to nerd out with you, Zach.